following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Well, I want to get into the Word this morning. I want to continue in the series. I'm looking forward to, to uh, today's message along with the rest of the uh, messages in this series. I'm really excited for the things that I hear and the things that I see. Uh, if you're taking notes, you want to write a few things down, I'd like to give you a few things to look forward to, you know, as we get into the Word together. So here's a few things that we can uh, look forward to seeing in the Word this morning. Uh, one, we're going to find out the difference between you and God. The difference between you and God. And I mean, some of you are thinking, uh, yeah, there's a few. <laughs> you know, uh, there's a, a, a certain, you know, country song that one of the lines in the chorus is, that's the difference between God and me. You know, well, yeah, we're going to find out biblically, you know, one of the things that would be the difference between you and God. And it's, a, it's something that's important for us to catch and understand. It'll affect how we view a lot of things. If we can just have that simple understanding, even though, you know, we're sharing it slightly tongue-in-cheek there, having fun. Uh, another thing we're going to find out is, what makes an obedient Christian? What makes an obedient Christian? I mean, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm not a Christian because I just grew up in a Christian house or because my parents were. I'm a Christian because the power of God touched my life and set me free from the bondage and affliction that was destroying my life. That's why I'm a Christian. But I need to know now what makes me a, a good Christian or a, an obedient Christian. And I don't like the term good Christian, but I'm using that just loosely for our understanding here. There's something in the scripture that we need to catch to see what makes an obedient Christian. And then a third thing that we're going to find is what keeps us from moving forward. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like you just couldn't get traction moving forward? You know, you knew that you had uh, something that needed to come to pass, that you believed it was God's will, and, and you're... you're you know that you need to move from, from A to B, but you seem kind of stuck on A, and then on occasion you might feel like you go backwards. We're going to find out what keeps uh, progress from taking place. And this could really be an eye-opener for, for some of us uh, in a lot of ways because there's every aspect of our life that is surrendered to God. We're, we're desiring to see, believing to see, and hoping and promises to see progress. And we'll see what is the greatest hindrance there to progress from a biblical perspective. Uh, now, we're talking about uh, wisdom, wisdom from above. I mean, God's counsel coming into your lives, God's counsel coming into my life, God's counsel entering into our lives and having an effect. I mean, this began as we were talking about getting God's direction and having uh, his wisdom prevail in our lives. We began to discuss that, and we looked at this uh, passage out of James that describes what God's wisdom is. Now, we'll, we'll go ahead and lay that as the foundation as we get into today's message. If you want to take it down for your notes again, you're welcome to. James chapter 3, verse 17. James chapter 3, verse 17. It reads like this, wisdom from above is first pure, or holy, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. I mean, you see this list of things here that are describing wisdom from above. Heavenly wisdom. God's counsel. Now, as we've established this passage as the foundation for the previous messages, we've said this, and I want to say it once again. 
as God gives you direction or as God gives you counsel in any situation or in any circumstance, his counsel or his direction is not going to be one of these things, but going to be all of these things. And if we're asking ourselves, if, is what I'm hearing in my spirit or what I'm feeling in my heart or what I'm seeing in the scripture or, or what I'm hearing in my life, if, if this is meant to be God's direction for my life, as we're questioning whether it's God's direction or whether it's something else, we ought to be able to lay these things out. And if it's God, you should be able to check off every one of those boxes. It's holy. It makes peace possible. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's reasonable. And we're going to talk about reasonable today. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's unwavering and it's without hypocrisy. If we can check off all of those boxes, it clears the test that we're receiving direction, counsel from God. Uh, it's important for us as we see this as a description to understand what these things are so that we can rightly define what we're hearing or what we're seeing, what we're feeling as a direction truly does measure up. Now, we've talked about things being holy. We've talked about things being peaceable. We've talked about gentle. Today, we're going to talk about uh, reasonable. Now, I got to tell you something. The first time that I read this after being born again, I had a real hard time with it. That specific word, reasonable, I mean, it has a, a literal translation. Uh, literally, the translation means uh, willing to yield. Now, I, I grew up around a, a, a Bible-believing congregation, and, and I saw people do things. They used the word bold like in every other sentence, you know. And I, I thought to myself, now listen, I'm born again. I mean, I, I've come out of sin and slavery and bondage, and, and I've empowered in the name of Jesus to do great and awesome things. And the Spirit of God abides in me and flows through me and is released through my words and my actions. Why in the world would I ever be willing to yield? How is it that God's will, wisdom in my life would be willing to yield at any point? I had a real hard time understanding that it seemed like the opposite of bold. And I actually, in a, in a bit of a, a, a fit, you know, I mean, I like to make it sound more righteous and say it was a lamentation. <laughs> but kind of fuss to God about that. Like, God, it's in your word. I can't deny that. It's right there. I'm looking at it. But, but obviously, I don't understand that. It's in your word, so I'm going to believe it, and it must be true because it's in your word, but I, my brain needs to be adjusted here because I have a hard time with that. What does it mean to be willing to yield? And almost as soon as those words left my mouth, I had a, a, an image in my mind appear, and I, I believe that God was, was showing me something. I mean, we might say God was speaking, but he was doing so through this imagery. I saw a piece of history play out. And a piece of history from the scripture, if you want to know where it's at in the scripture, you'd find it in the gospel of John chapter 19. But what I saw as soon as I asked God, you know, I mean, what does that mean, willing to yield? I had this image in my mind of Jesus standing in front of Pontius Pilate. The full measure of authority, righteousness, and truth standing before a man, a corrupt man. And here's what you'll find if you look in John chapter 19, verses 10 through 11. You'll, you'll see Pilate saying to Jesus, remember, Jesus, the full measure of righteousness and truth. If anyone had the right to be bold, it would be Jesus. And Pilate said, you don't speak to me. Do you not know that I have the authority to release you or I have the authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered and said, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. 
And all of a sudden, I understood. I get it now. Your wisdom in my life will be willing to yield. Willing to yield. And there's a reason why we need to have this willingness to yield. I want to get to that in a moment. I'll give you a passage of scripture here that, that no Texan is going to like, okay? So, you know, if I were in uh, another state, I might have an easier time delivering this portion of the word here. But I want to give it to you, and I want you to write it down for your notes here. It's out of Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. It says, every person, I mean, that includes Texans, right? Yeehaw! Every person, every person is to be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Let me tell you something, that will test you, that will stretch you, that will cause you to pause and to think, and everything that is Texan inside of me cringes upon the reading of that verse, and everything that is inside of me, that is carnal, wants to leave that out. You know, Preston, you could preach this message without including that passage, and I could. But there's something powerful and incredible when we're willing to read that passage, accept that passage as true. It positions us to trust God no matter who is in power, no matter who's voted to be our next president, no matter who sits in the judgment seat of men, no matter who is in our government, it positions us to have one trust in our God, knowing that no matter who has been established, God has never once lost his sovereignty. There's not a single moment on this earth where men prevailed over God's will and his sovereignty in any situation or any circumstance. Whether a ruler has been righteous or whether a ruler has been a tyrant, God has been on his throne, unshaken and unremoved. His authority is absolute. And it positions us now to, to have a, an empowerment. An empowerment to trust in him. And when you read the scripture about the men and the women that have done incredible things on behalf of the kingdom of God, you'll see that these men and women have done incredible things on behalf of the kingdom of God through obeying God, through responding to his counsel and wisdom, including being willing to yield. Whether you look at men like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whether you look at men like Abraham, none of these men ever stood and said, you know who you're messing with? I'm a child of God, Busta. You don't want to mess with me. But they would look at corrupt kings and leaders and say, oh, my king. Trusting and knowing that God's much bigger than that corrupt king that stood across the hallway from them. Knowing that God is able to deliver no matter what men would execute. God is able to deliver. Wisdom from above will always be willing to yield. Just like Jesus would stand before a corrupt man in Pilate, that wisdom that flows through us will position us to stand in full honor, without rebellion, without dishonor, and without rejection of God's call for us to operate in such a manner. Now, there's another literal translation, and this one is less offensive, but only because we might not really think that we fall in the category of disobedient people. But if we really think about it, this is going to be slightly terrifying. Are you okay being slightly terrified this morning? I mean, wisdom from above is reasonable. Well, we like that. I'm okay with that. Let's reason. Can we discuss this? Now, let's be reasonable. Would God really call you to do that? I mean, 
It's not the word. Wisdom from above is willing to yield. Another translation, another literal translation is wisdom from above is ready to obey. Ready to obey. As God is bringing his counsel into your life, it's going to be holy. It's going to be pure. It's going to be peaceable, meaning it's going to make peace a possibility. It's going to be gentle, meaning that God doesn't deal in threats and ultimatums, but he's leading us and he's guiding us into his word. And it's going to position us for obedience. It's going to position us for obedience. God's not going to call us to do things that are outside of his written word. He's not going to give you instruction to break the things that he has said stand as truth and righteousness. But everything that God brings into our lives, his wisdom, his counsel, all that he would speak to us and all that he would lead us into is going to make us ready to or position us for obedience. And there's wonderful reasons for that and we're going to get into that in just a moment. But I want you to consider something again. I want you to consider Jesus. Now, before I mention Jesus standing before Pilate, but I want you to consider Jesus before he ever stands before Pilate. Jesus, who's done absolutely nothing to deserve wrath, absolutely nothing to deserve punishment, pain, and suffering, but knowing that that's on the way. And it's a picture of Jesus in prayer, knowing that he's going to be arrested, knowing that he's going to be beaten, knowing that he's going to be accused and mocked, knowing that he's going to suffer in a measure that no man has ever known before. Beyond the fists of men and beyond the whips and beyond the nails and the wood, beyond all of those physical things, he's going to take upon himself the sins of all the world. And if you don't think he could feel that, I think you're nuts. The scripture says he became sickness, that he took all of the sins and the curse upon himself. The physical torment of all of that came upon him. He knows all of this is on the way. And before all of that ever takes place, he's in a position to make a choice or decision to either do God's will or do what he wants to do. To either do what God has called him to do or to cut and run. And you see it in his prayers. I mean, you'll see him pray. I want to give you an example out of Matthew. Matthew 26, verse 39. Jesus fell on his face and he prayed. And he said, my father, if it's possible, let this pass me by. But he's ending his prayer with, not my will, but your will be done. Not as I want, but what you want. I mean, not my will, but your will. It sounds a little bit stuffy. But just think about these words. Not what I want but what you want. What if every believer lived by that? What if every Christian lived by that? What if that became our motto? You know? What if that became who we were as believers? Not what I want, but what God wants. Not what I want, but what God wants. I mean, we all have things that we want. Jesus had something that he wanted. According to this, I mean, don't let this you know, cause you to be angry, frustrated, get up and walk out. But according to this, I think it's safe to say he didn't want to go to the cross. I think it's safe to say that he didn't want that to happen. I mean, he asked God, is there any other way, please? Because I'd prefer any other way but this. But not what I want, but what you want. Now, there's a reason why this is an important way for us to live. 
There's a reason why being willing to yield, being reasonable or being ready to obey is extremely important for us. There's a reason why we need to become a people whose motto and whose lifestyle is not what I want, but what God wants. I want you to to see the reason here. I told you before we're going to find out the difference between you and God. I want you to take down this passage of scripture for your notes. Isaiah chapter 55. I want to see verses 8 and 9. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. The difference between you and God. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. It reads like this. God is speaking and he's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. And he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And your ways aren't my ways. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. I mean, you got to understand something. When God speaks something like as high as the heavens are higher above the earth, I mean, he's just simply creating an example that we might be able to wrap our minds around. The truth and the reality is that God is so different than we are in seeing and in understanding that for us for one moment to think that we see clearly or we understand clearly above His understanding or His sight is absolute foolishness. It should position us to all become a people of not what I want but what you want because I know you see a much bigger picture than I do. Not what I want but what you want because I know you understand much, much, much more than I do. I see what's right in front of my face. I am so myopic I can't see past tomorrow and all of my wants are centered around right here, this 24-hour circle. But you, my God, see much further. You see my spouse. You see my children. You see my grandchildren. You see my great-grandchildren. You see generations ahead, so not what I want, but what you want. And you can apply it to any aspect of life. We're called to be a people of not what I want, but what you want. Because God sees so far beyond what we see. And here's something great for your your notes here. God wants you to obey him. Now, when I say that, it, you know, depending on your understanding of God, it's going to be interpreted uh, uh, maybe one of several different ways. I mean, some of us who maybe had, you know, tyrannical authority figures in our lives would hear God wants you to obey him, and that becomes a little bit of a daunting thing, maybe even a threatening thing. You know, God wants you to obey him, so you better get in line. But God wants you to obey him, and I'll, I'll give you proof out of the scripture. I mean, Uh, Here's a good example, right? It might be an okay example, but I I think it's a good example. Uh, my, My sons, they go to school, they have teachers who want them to read. They want them to read. And so in order to get them to read, what do they do? They set up a system of rewards, right? That system of rewards exists. It doesn't have to exist. But it exists, and it exists to encourage them to read because the teachers want them to read. I want to prove that God wants us to obey. He wants us to obey. We should obey no matter what. He's God and we're not. But he has set up a wonderful system of rewards for our obedience. And it should stand out to us in the Scripture. There's a couple of places I want you to to write down in your notes And we can talk about them this morning, we can look at them briefly, but you ought to read them in your own time. Because they contrast obedience and disobedience. 
And if we were to read these things and understand these things as Christians, it would change how we view our choices and our decisions. We would begin to ask ourselves things like, is this God's will? I want to be obedient. Let me just give you these areas of scripture and let the word of God do what the word of God does best. Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus 26. Now in this chapter, I mean, honestly, if your Bible has uh, uh, little headings, you know, I mean, those are man-made headings, but they're to give you a little description, right? Like if you were to look at the chapter in the Gospels where Jesus is crucified, it might say the crucifixion or something like that. It's to help us to organize the scripture. Well, let me tell you what the heading is over Leviticus 26. Blessings of obedience. Now, let me just say this again. You know, God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't have to bless us to obey him or he doesn't have to bless us for obeying him at all. But yet he's created these blessings for obedience because he wants there to be obedience. He wants there to be this this, uh, uh, positioning to understand, to know, and to live in and dwell in all the wonderful things that come from him leading and guiding our lives with all of the vision, all of the understanding, all of the wisdom that he has. We have such a 100% chance of success with God as our captain rather than us as our captain. Most of the time when I've taken the wheel, it's been a train wreck because I don't see what he sees. I don't have his ways and I don't have his thoughts. Leviticus 26, here's just a few notes from the obeying side, okay? From the obedience side. The obedience side, you're going to get things like this, being fruitful, peaceful, healthy, It says this when it comes to to our productivity in in the destruction of of the enemies of God. It says that that any five of us will put a hundred of our enemies to flight. And if we get a hundred together, we'll put 10,000 of our enemies to flight. I mean, he's saying, listen, when you obey, things are good. They're going to be so good. And then you look at the flip side. You look at disobedience. Disobedience. I'm going to read a list of things that fall in the disobedience category. And as I'm reading them, I want you to ask yourself, do I want that in my life? Okay? Would I want that in my life? So here's one. Okay? Would I want this in my life? Sudden terror. No, I'll pass on that. Uh, Depression. Starvation. It goes on to say this, that God, I mean, this is saying God now. I mean, you can read it yourself. God will make hearts weak so that they will run, or the people who are disobedient will run, even when no one chases. Now here's, I've got to ask myself a question when I read this. I ask myself, like when I evaluate uh, people that I come to know in Christianity, whether they're a part of this congregation or whether they're outside of this congregation, I've encountered Christians that I've seen, and I've seen some that are fruitful and peaceful and healthy, and everything they put their hand to just destroys the work of Satan and establishes the kingdom of God. And then I've seen another group of Christians. I mean, they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They've, they've, they've prayed those prayers, and they go to church. But I've seen some Christians who are constantly afraid, afraid of sudden terror, that things are all of a sudden just going to go to hell in a handbag or whatever. I hope we can say that. If we can't, we'll have to edit that. I've seen Christians that suffer depression. I mean, I've seen Christians that that are in a situation 
that they're running and no one's chasing. High drama. And I look around and I have to ask myself, what's the difference between that Christian over there that has peace, that Christian over there that's, that's prospering, that Christian over there that's fruitful, that Christian over there that seems to be chasing off the devil, rather than that one over there who's being chased by the devil, that one over there that's depressed, that one over there that, that is, is in this state of suffering and, and, and darkness and depression. What's the difference? Is it one takes better notes at church? I mean, maybe one goes to the Bible study on Wednesday. I mean, what, what's the difference? Why that person having this lifestyle and why that one having this? And according to the scripture here, I have to come to this conclusion. The difference must be obedience or disobedience. I have sons. I mean, they're my sons. Being my son doesn't automatically make them obey. My wife chuckled there a little bit. I mean, we're sons of God. But that doesn't mean that we automatically obey. Being a child of God now positions us to have an understanding of His heart for us, to know that even when He calls us to do those things that we're uncomfortable or maybe even afraid to do, that we ought to step out and do it because His ways are above ours. His thoughts are, are well above ours. He sees way beyond what we see. And when we will obey, there will be prosperity in the end. An understanding of His heart to actually function and operate as obedient children. I'll give you another passage of scripture for your notes here as we move forward. We've got a lot of ground to cover in a short amount of time. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28 is going to, to look a lot like Leviticus. In fact, as you, you look through Leviticus, which I've asked you to, to look at in your own time, when you read through there and you see all of these blessings and all of these benefits, it's not just about uh, your life and the things that you do. But it's about who you are and your identity. I mean, there's a passage of scripture there. If you want to write it down for your notes before we move forward, you can. It's in verse 11 of that Leviticus chapter 26. It opens up with moreover, meaning like as if that wasn't enough, right? I'm going to make life good. You're going to put your enemies to flight. You're going to have peace. You're going to prosper in everything you do. Moreover, I mean, that's God's way of saying like, and if you think that's something, here comes, here comes the big point. This is the big picture. This is what it's all about. And in verse 11, he says, Moreover, moreover, I will make my dwelling among you. My soul will not reject you. I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. That's some moreover right there, isn't it? But that moreover is conditional upon what? Obedience. 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 God make us to be obedient children. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, you see obedience and disobedience. Uh, they, they, con they are conflicted there. You see obedience in all of its uh, benefits, and you see disobedience in all of the things that come with it. And I mean, I want you to read that in your own time, but you'll see things like blessing. Blessing in every way imaginable. Blessing to, to even just find good deals and, and do good when you go to the grocery store. That might sound small, but let me tell you, that's a big thing. Let me tell you something that I believe with all of my heart. It's possible, and I believe that this blessing is upon my life, to live with God's blessing in such a way that you have prosperity even if you don't have money. 
having things that, that, that you would not be able to afford otherwise because the right deal at the right time, at the right place, all of those things that God can weave together and make happen on your behalf without striving. and without, There's been times before where I sat, there, one season I had zero revenue for nine months. And I just sat down and I thought, you know, we live in this incredible home. And, and I drive that car. It was a car, it was, I just it drove this car that was, a, 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 people used to think it was, I was a mobster or something. I mean, it was a really, really nice, expensive car, but I didn't buy it. Somebody gave it to me. I didn't ask them to, they just did. But God positions our lives at times to function and operate and live in situations that we would never be able to live in if it weren't for that blessing upon our lives. And I'm just telling you, that's not a promise that, hey, give today in the offering plate and God's going to do this wonderful thing for you. I'm just telling you, when you read Deuteronomy 28, that's real. When we live according to his ways, when we obey him, that blessing is on our life. And it does wonderful things. So read that for yourself so that a message doesn't get corrupted and it doesn't get mixed with, with messages that I do believe are corrupt as it concerns giving and receiving and things like that. But I want you to read that in your own time and see the benefits of obedience and see that God doesn't want to do great things. Deuteronomy 28 uses words like, see that I won't fill up your barns until they're bursting. I want my barns to burst. And according to, to that passage out of Deuteronomy chapter 28, that means obeying God. It means obeying Him. It means when he calls me to do something and I don't want to do it, it means I don't do what I want to do and I do do what he wants me to. Not what I want, but what you want. Here's the power of obeying God, the power of obedience, if you want to take that. The power of obedience. I want you to see how powerful obedience is in just a couple of passages of Scripture here. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. Romans 5, verse 19. If you're taking notes, you can write it down there. I want to read it to you. The power of obedience. I want you to consider what obedience was capable of destroying and what obedience was capable of bringing to pass, okay? Through one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. He's referring to Adam. Even so, through the obedience of one man, referring to Jesus, many are made righteous. You see that all of that history hinges upon one thing, obedience. In my life, the choices that I make matter. Am I going to obey God? It's going to have a, a powerful effect one way or another. A blessed effect, a Deuteronomy 28 blessing effect if I do, or a Deuteronomy 28 cursing effect if I don't. Obedience is powerful, and it shouldn't be thrown out. The moment we become Christians, we don't have to no longer obey God. Rather, we are empowered to begin to obey God for the first time in our lives. I want to give you another passage of scripture. Exodus 19, verses 5 through 6. It opens up with a condition. If you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be my own possession among all the peoples. Of, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Kingdom of priests, a holy nation, God's own possession, all conditional upon what? Obedience. Obedience. I want to offer this to you. Obedience is the most valuable thing that you can offer to God. I mean, you might argue that, and that's okay. I mean, I'm just offering it to you. I'm not stating it as a doctrine. 
But I'll give you a passage of Scripture from 1 Samuel. I want you to, to write it down for your notes. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. Now, you'll have to read the entire narrative to understand the story and what all is going on there. But the difference in what is going on here uh, between blessing and cursing just hinders on obedience. Will somebody do it God's way or will they do it their own way? And in this case, a man decides to do it his own way and this is what God has to say about it. Does God delight in sacrifice? Does he delight in sacrifice as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. For rebellion, which is disobedience, is as the sin of witchcraft. And insubordination is as the iniquity of idolatry. And then it goes on to say this, and this applies to us because of that promise in Exodus of our being a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Because you reject the word of God, the Lord will reject you from being king. Obedience is important to us. And praise God for the obedience of King Jesus. Now, I mentioned something before as we move in the message, and I can understand that this isn't going to get any points for popularity, right? But it's an important message for us to evaluate and to listen to and then, and then reference with our own lives, our own choices, our own decisions. Do you feel like we need to become an obedient people? I mean, I do. I see that in my life, that I become content with, with uh, this mixture of culture and kingdom and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm born again and, and it's going to be okay and my name is recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life, but I want us to live those promises that God says are available to us, those promises that are conditional upon obedience. So when I want that, I ask myself, well, how do we become obedient? I mean, I want us to become obedient. I want to become obedient. I want to be an obedient son. And I've got good news and bad news for you. I mean, I told you before, we're going to learn what it takes to be an obedient Christian. We're going to find that here. And it comes with good news and bad news. I'll give you the good news first. The good news is you can learn to be obedient. You can learn to be obedient. That's the good news. That you can learn to be obedient. There's not any one of us in the room that's stuck behaving the way we are right now for the rest of our lives. Making choices the way we make them right now for the rest of our lives. Obedience can be learned. It's a learned behavior. Now here comes the bad news. Let me give you a passage of scripture that will have the bad news in it here. Okay, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8. Good news, obedience can be learned. It's speaking about Jesus here. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8. Jesus, although he is the son or was a son, just like you, just like me, he learned obedience. Remember, there's good news. Yay, you can learn obedience. From the things which he suffered. Wait, what? Yeah, that's the news that you might not like so much. But it begins to, to produce a, a, an understanding in me. Things make sense. You know, why I've walked through some of the things I've walked through. Oh, I see now. That season in my life that was so hard and so difficult, I get it now. You were teaching me something. You were teaching me through that entire time of suffering. You were teaching me how to obey you because you're calling me over here and I'm over here and to get from here to here or from there to there is going to require me to trust you. And that's going to mean trusting you even when I'm uncomfortable. Unconditionally. Now, I understand this, you know, I mean, it's hard for me to apply it to my life because I don't want to suffer, but I do want to be obedient. I want to learn obedience. 
And I can look at this, and it's a simple concept. It sounds so daunting when you read it there in the scripture, but the reality is this exists in our child rearing. It exists in our, even our animal training. It exists everywhere you go. Recently, I, I bought this collar for one of our, or for two of our dogs. We have dogs that like to roam. One of them is an escape artist. I mean, I, I think you could put up a 10-foot fence and he'd scale it. It's pretty fun to watch, actually. And they're great pets. They're wonderful pets, very protective and kind and gentle. And, and then I, I got a text from a neighbor saying, your, your dog is chasing my cats. And I'm, let me tell you what I thought. I didn't reply, but I thought, so? Right? That's what dogs do. Every cartoon I've ever seen since I was a kid had a dog chasing a cat. Then another text, you know, with a video attached. You're done. And then we started finding the, the cat food containers in the yard. So they were raiding the cat food and carrying, I don't know how they carried their big containers. And I'm thinking, do they walk on two legs at night? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know how they do it. And so I, I told the lady, listen, we're going to find a solution to this. Thanks for being patient. We want to be good neighbors, you know. And we began to look for a solution. And we found this collar and this collar that, you know, you can go outside and you turn it on. And I can't believe it was as inexpensive as it is, but you, you program a center point, and that could be your house. And then you tell it, you know, how many meters you permit the dog to go. And then if the dog goes past that perimeter, zzz, I tried it. <laughs> I set it on the highest setting, and it gives you a warning, like a beep, like beep, and you know it's coming. I don't think the beep is a good thing. I don't want to know it's coming, man. I, don't tell me it's coming. Just shock me, you know. And we're walking, and I tell Ashley's like, you're coming? I'm like, no, I'm just going to watch you. She's wise. Wisdom from above. And I'm holding it in my hand. Beep. Ta! You know, and it gets you, and it gets you good. But what's funny now, I haven't had a text from that neighbor at all. Now, here's the thing. I mean, we're not into torturing our animals, right? So you don't, you don't doom your dog to wear this the rest of their life. But that little bit of time of suffering changes their boundaries. Where then once they have matured, you can take it off of them and they never cross that boundary again. I've known suffering in my life and it was God changing my boundaries so that I don't constantly live in that state of immaturity or that state of foolishness. And you and I can be just like Jesus. We can learn obedience through the things that we suffer. And it ought to change the way we view suffering in our lives. We ought to ask God, what are you teaching me through this so that I don't miss it? So I don't just sit around and fuss and complain and go to my pastor and ask him to pray for me every week to get this off of my life when it's you that's put this on my life for a reason. To teach me how to have better boundaries, how to grow and how to mature, how to learn obedience so that I can have all the benefits of Leviticus 26 and all the benefits of Deuteronomy 28 active in my life. I was going to go through some benefits here of uh, obedience and I want to do it very quickly. We're going to move through a lot of scripture. You may have to go to the internet to uh, get, uh, get these things if we move too quickly. Salvation is a benefit of obeying. Hebrews 5, 8, and 9, it reads like this. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Having been made perfect, he became to all of those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. I mean, that one is, is poetic to read, but it ought to set off alarms and buzzers. It ought to send up red flags. Did you hear who receives that salvation? It's a, it's a group of people that are very uh, accurately or specifically rather described 
in that last line. He became to all of those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. It does not read like this. And I'm not going to hang out here long. It does not read, he became to all of those who believe him the source of eternal salvation. It does read like this. He became to all of those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. We ought to make a note of that. Becoming a Christian isn't the end, it's the beginning. The beginning of a life that has Jesus as our king to respond to his counsel, to hear his word, and surrender our will and take upon his instruction in full obedience. Another benefit of obeying is fruitfulness. Isaiah chapter 1, I want to read verses 19 and 20. Again, conditional. If, if you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land, but if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. I think I saw that in a, on a bumper sticker at Mardell's. Maybe not. Maybe that's not one that we do that with. But we ought to look at that. We ought to consider these promises and we ought to consider the result of rejecting them. A benefit of obeying life. The Gospel of John chapter 3 verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son does not see life, but the wrath of God. Did you see the, the, the switcheroo there? It goes from believing to obeying. I'm going to read it again. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life but the wrath of God. Obedience. Obedience, obedience, obedience. Being a Christian is so much more than acknowledging that Jesus took our place on the cross. It's acknowledging that Jesus took our place on the cross and then ascended to the heavens to sit at the right hand of God as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that his instruction and his, his counsel in my life is priority. I want to give you another benefit of obeying. The Holy Ghost. I mean, I, I wanted to move through these fast, but I want to just stop here even if it's just for a few moments. It's my desire for Champions Church to function and to operate, to be, so to speak, a spirit-filled community. But the only way Champions Church can be a spirit-filled church is to be made up of a congregation of spirit-filled believers. I mean, I grew up in a charismatic church, a church that believed in those things, but not everyone in that church was filled with the Holy Spirit. They believed in the gifts of the Spirit, and they loved to see it. We'd have guests come in, and they would have ministry and things like that. It was wonderful, and it was great. But I believe that the congregation is meant to be made up of believers who have been born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit. There may be those among us even here that are desiring and waiting to see baptism and the Holy Spirit take place in their life. If so, make special note of this scripture from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5, verse 32. He is the one whom God called and exalted to his right hand, obviously speaking of Jesus, as prince and savior to grant repentance to all of Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Interesting, isn't it? The Holy Spirit, a witness, a witness of the things that Jesus has done on our behalf, a witness of the things that God is doing through the release of his kingdom 
a, a witness to all of these things, and also the one whom God has given to those who obey him. It makes obedience just kind of rise as a very important thing to pursue in our daily lives. Maybe introduce it into our prayer life. Father, help me to be an obedient child today. Let me pause and give thought to the things that I'm doing and the things that you would call me to do. And if my will doesn't line up with yours, give me the courage and the strength and the understanding, the wisdom to lay down what I want and to do what you want. I want to be an obedient child. I want to give you these things quickly. These are some obstacles to obedience. So if these things exist in our lives, we might want to, to, to do everything in our power to see these things cast out so that obedience can thrive. Now, I came with a history of the scripture here. I mean, each one of these has a piece of history or, or, or something from the Bible uh, that we could get into in depth, but we're not going to do that. I'm going to spare you the walk through the scripture, and we're going to simply look at individual scriptures themselves. One obstacle to obedience is something listed in the scripture as vanity or empty vanity, and it can also be translated idolatry. Vanity or empty vanity or idolatry, something that really doesn't produce, but yet for some reason it's valued and embraced. And here's a passage of scripture that you can write down. Psalm 119, verse 37. It's a prayer, it's a request asking God to get rid of this, right? If this exists in our life, we need to have the same prayer. Turn my eyes away from vanity and revive me in your ways. If we take that passage of scripture and we consider it, what it's saying is, let me not desire and want these things that don't produce, but, but revive me. Bring me back to the things that do. Your ways, your counsel, your will. Not the things I want, but the things you want. If we have vanities in our life, it's going to hinder our ability to be obedient and have all the benefits that come with obedience. Another thing that can hinder obedience, selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. Now remember, God loves for us to have desires and goals, but any of those things that are exalted above his plan or his will for our life become selfish ambition. And when we begin to exalt ourselves rather than allow him to exalt us, it's bad news. I'll give you a passage of scripture here, Romans chapter 2, verse 8. Romans chapter 2, verse 8. Those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. That passage of Scripture reveals to me that being selfishly ambitious is going to be a hindrance to obeying the truth. And when we don't obey the truth, when we're not obeying God, all of those benefits from Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28, are going to be very hard to come by. Another hindrance to obedience disappointment. Now this one may sound like a bit of a stretch, but I got to tell you, pastorally working with people and believers, you're amazed how many people's present and future are affected by their past. Past hurts, past wounds, past disappointments having a negative impact on their life today and tomorrow. Disappointment. I'll give you a passage of scripture again from Romans chapter 10 verse 11. Whoever trusts in God will not be disappointed. When disappointment exists in our life, when disappointment exists in my life, it's revealing to me of a need to trust in God, to trust in his presence, to trust in his word, to trust in his direction, to trust in his will. Now, this one's going to be far less a stretch, but I'll give it to you. 
I'll give it to you uh, out of Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 17. Fear of man. Now remember, these were meant to come with, with sections of Scripture, history. Uh, we, we can call them sometimes Bible stories, but I don't like using that term because it makes them sound made up. But we could find these in, in clear examples throughout the Scripture, and for time's sake, we're not doing that. Fear of man. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 17. It's an instruction, it's a command. You shall not fear man, for judgment is God's. Don't worry about what that person, that person, or that person is telling you to do. Don't worry about what the crowd is telling you to do. Don't worry about the world is telling you to do. They're not going to judge your life. But God is. We should be concerned with the instruction and the counsel and the direction of one and one alone. But when fear of man comes into our lives and introduces that compromise where we're more concerned with what the church board thinks or what this group thinks or what Facebook thinks, it could affect our decision-making and open up the door for compromise, disobedience, and the results of disobedience. Another hindrance to obedience existing in our life, greed. Greed. If greed exists in our life, it's going to be very hard to obey God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. It gives a list of things to be dead to. Be dead to greed, which amounts to idolatry. Meaning that greed is going to result in the serving of another other than God, a listening to another other than God, and obeying another other than God. When greed's present in our life, it's very difficult for us to obey God and have the benefits of obedience promised in the Scripture. And then I want to close with this one, a hindrance to obedience in our lives. I know a lot of Texans who would wear this as a badge of honor, and we ought to see it for what it is. A hindrance to obedience that leads to suffering. This last obstacle to obedience, stubbornness. Stubbornness. I want to give you a passage of scripture and I want to encourage you maybe to turn there or, or to, to look at it in your own time. It's out of the book of Jeremiah chapter 7. You see God speaking to his people and he's talking to them about how wonderful life is in obedience and, and how, how frustrating and disappointing in disobedience. And you see this passage of scripture in verses 23 and 24. Jeremiah chapter 7. It says there are those that do not obey, but they walk in their own counsel, meaning they do what they want, not what God wants. And in the stubbornness of their evil heart, they went backwards. I told you before we're going to find out what keeps us from moving forward, what keeps us from progress. And I mean, in any aspect of our living, according to this passage of Scripture, what will hinder progress, what will hinder forward movement, but what will lead to a halt and even a backwards movement will be stubbornness, a refusal to obey God and a desire to obey our own counsel those that do not obey but walk in their own counsel in the stubbornness of their own evil hearts go backwards. But as you read that chapter in Jeremiah chapter 7, you'll see God's promise being revealed to us. You'll see Him saying things that apply to the church. He says something very clearly there that we ought to see. 
He reveals to a group of people that it's not enough to simply stand in church and say, this is church and, and I'm a Christian. He says it in other words, but you'll see it. In Jeremiah 7, the word is, this is the temple. I'm in the temple. But rather, coming to church isn't enough. It's meant to be the place where we're encouraged and we encourage one another. It's meant to be the place where we're built up. It's meant to be the place where we confess our failures. It's meant to be the place where we're positioned to obey. And when we step out into obedience, that is when we begin to see the prosperity that God's promised in Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28, all of those blessings that set us apart from the rest of the world that I so desire to have in my life and in each of your lives. As you gather your things together, I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. It's funny to me that you can take 40-something minutes to preach something that can be said in one sentence. Really and truly, the desire is for us to be a people who, just like Jesus, would say, not what I want, but what you want. Not what I want, but what you want. And when God is directing us, when he's leading us, when he's guiding us, that starts with purity, that is, is peaceable, it's gentle, it's going to position us to obey. He's always going to be directing us to obedience because it's obedience where all of the blessing lies. It's obedience where salvation lies. It's obedience where all of the victory and all of the growth and maturity that God has promised into our lives lies, and it's nowhere else. We will only find it in obedience. And as God's directing us and as he's leading us and as he's guiding us, he's always going to be preparing us to obey. And throughout the things that we've suffered, I want us to understand that God is growing us, that he's maturing us. That we might come together and, and no longer weep and mourn over those times, but that those times could even become a point of celebration to see that God has taken me to new heights in trusting Him to deliver, in trusting Him to fulfill His word and the fullness of His faithfulness, in believing and trusting in Him that when He commands me to go, I won't second guess, but I'll go. And in that obedience, I perceive rich outpouring of the Holy Spirit among this congregation. As we become a people who say, not what I want, but what you want, I want to see the result be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a stirring of the gifts and the anointings that God so richly has bestowed upon this group of people in this room right here and right now. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.